We've been in a sermon series on prayer. It's called Sync Up, and the idea is that we synchronize with God through prayer. So five sermons, and this is the fifth one, the final message on prayer. And the first one, we were talking about reasons why every Christian needs to have a vital and a robust prayer life. The next three were about how to pray, getting into the nuts and bolts on how to pray. Today, I want to talk about when the answer to our prayer is no. I didn't want to close out a sermon series on prayer without talking about what to do when we hear God's no, or how to think about that. And I'm going to suggest three thoughts this morning when God's answer is no. They're all kind of a takeoff on the word no. The first one is no, not yet. No, not yet. Sometimes when the answer is no, it's not a final no, it's not a hard no, it's a no, not yet. God's simply on a different time schedule than we are. We want things to hurry up, God sometimes takes his time. In the Gospel of Luke, we read where the angel Gabriel comes to Zechariah. Zechariah is the high priest at that time. He says, don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son, and you are to name him John. And so Zechariah and Elizabeth are to become the parents of John the Baptist, a very important person. Now, the thing here is that Zechariah and Elizabeth had been praying for a child for years. In fact, they've been praying for decades. And by the time Gabriel gets to Zechariah, Zechariah describes himself as an old man. And he describes his wife as well along in years, a little more tactful. But they're really beyond childbearing years. It's a miraculous conception and birth. So they had been praying for decades, and the answer from God seemed to have been no, but it wasn't really no. It was no, not yet. It was no, wait. And they are further described in Luke in this way. Righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all of the Lord's commandments and regulations. And my question is, how did they get that way? So righteous in God's eyes, so careful to be obedient to the Lord. And maybe their persistence and patience in prayer had something to do with that. Maybe God used that waiting on him to develop those qualities in them. So when he looked at them, he said, those are the people that I want to be the parents of John the Baptist. So sometimes it is no, not yet. Somebody has said, we are not entitled to the fruit, we're entitled to the action. We're only entitled to the action, not the fruit. And in this application, the action is prayer. That's what we're entitled to. That's what we're entitled to do. The fruit, if it comes, comes from God. But so sometimes it's no, not yet. All right, a second thing to say about no. Sometimes God's no is a no, don't know. No, don't know. What I mean by that is it appears to be a no from God, but that's because we don't know that he is going to or already has actually answered the prayer that we are praying. Now let me give you an example of this from the Old Testament. In Genesis chapter 18, God and two angels visit Abraham. Abraham, the friend of God. And they inform him, God says, I'm going to go down and investigate Sodom and Gomorrah. And if it is as bad as I think it is, I'm going to judge those cities. I'm going to destroy those cities. Now, Abraham had a beloved nephew named Lot who lived in Sodom. So now he begins to intercede with God because he wants to save Lot's life. He doesn't come right out and say, can you save Lot's life? 
but he begins to bargain with God. He says, God, I know that you are just, and you would never wipe away the righteous with the wicked and the guilty. No innocent bystanders with you, God. If you, if you can find 50 righteous men in the city of Sodom, will you spare the entire city on their behalf? And God says, yes, I will do that. And if you know the story, you know that Abraham continues to dicker with God and to negotiate to get him down to the minimum number of righteous people for which he will spare the city of Sodom. And how many people was that? Ten. That's what they agree on. If you can find ten righteous men, you'll spare the whole city. They shook on that. And God continued on his way, and Abraham went to bed. Now, God sent the two angels into Sodom, and they do their investigation, and sure enough, they can't find ten righteous men in Sodom. So Sodom's got to be judged. However, unbeknownst to Abraham, those angels lead Lot and his wife and their two daughters out of Sodom and to a nearby town before the judgment comes. Now, let's pick up the narrative in Genesis chapter 19. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and returned to the place where he had stood before the Lord. He looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah, toward all the land of the plain. He saw dense smoke rising from the land like smoke from a furnace. Let's put ourselves in Abraham's sandals. As he is now overlooking the crater, the smoking crater that used to be Sodom, what must he assume about his nephew, Lot. Lot is dead. Lot is toast. He was in the wrong place at the wrong time. So he's heartbroken over that and maybe a little bit disappointed in God because that was the spirit of his prayer. He's trying to save his nephew's life. So did God answer Abraham's prayer? Yes and no. No, in the sense, he did not spare the, the city of Sodom, but yes, in the sense that, unbeknownst um, Abraham, he had rescued Lot. But Abraham does not know that at this point. Now, presumably, at some time in the future, Abraham's going to bump into Lot. Lot, I, I didn't even know you were alive. Yeah, I'm alive. God saved my life. And then the light bulb goes off in Abraham's mind. He says, oh, what I thought was a no was actually a yes. I just didn't know what I didn't know. And I didn't know what God knew. Now sometimes, those of you, those of us getting a little bit up in years there, maybe we've lived long enough to have that vantage point where we experience what we thought was a no from God at some point in the past, something we were praying over and we look out there at the smoking crater of our expectations of God and we're frustrated and we're disappointed. But later on, maybe weeks, months, or years later, from a different vantage point, we look back and we say, oh, that wasn't a no after all. It turned out to be a yes. Do a thought experiment with me. Let's think about the two thieves that were crucified on either side of Jesus. Now, they were thieves, they were robbers, or maybe they were rebels, depending upon how you in interpret the words there. One of those thieves was unrepentant right until the time that he died. But the other thief, as you may know, 
He may have heard Jesus teach in the past, maybe something he saw about the way that Jesus died or how he spoke on the cross. He had a change of heart, and he repented. And he said to Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied to him, today you will be with me where? In paradise. Today you will be with me in paradise. Now that thief who repented had a mom and a dad. He had a mom and a dad. And everything up that I've said, everything up to this point is absolute fact. Now I want to speculate a little bit. Let's do the, the thought experiment. Let's just suppose that the thief was a Jew, and probably they both were Jews, and that his mom and dad were faithful Jewish parents, and they'd raised their son right, but at some point he took a walk on the wild side and maybe got into a life of crime. Maybe at some point he joined what were known as the Sicarii in that century, and they were sort of insurgents. They resented and hated the Romans who had occupied their land, and, and so they were the insurgents of that day. Maybe he joined them and got caught, and that's how he wound up on a cross. But suppose that his parents had been faithfully praying for their prodigal son for years, for years, that he would come back to the way he was raised, that he would come back to the faith. Maybe after he was arrested, they continued praying for him. Maybe once he was convicted and sitting on death row, they visited him, but he hardened his heart. And maybe they, they couldn't bear to go to the crucifixion. They just couldn't see that done to their son. But somebody brought them word, yes, your son died today, Friday. He died on that cross. And what would they be left to assume? They got a hard no from God. Their son died in an unrepentant state. No hope. And I know that speculation, but were that the case, it would be a case of they didn't know what they don't know. And they don't know what God knows. And that is that something happened between the heart of that man on the cross and the heart of Jesus in the very last hour of his life. Sometimes we don't know what we don't know. For any person who has already passed away. It is not within our purview to determine their final destination. That's not up to us. We cannot judge that. The Bible says that man looks on the outward appearance. Only God looks at the heart. And we simply do not know what was happening between the heart of any given person in the hours leading up to their death and the hour of their death? What happens between their heart and God's heart? We don't know that. We don't know that. I do not mean to give false hope to anyone, but I also would never dispel the true and living hope that all judgment is in the hands of God, a God who wants every person to be saved more than we do and who has worked toward their salvation so hard. That's always up to God. We simply don't know what we don't know. And sometimes a no is I don't know. All right, there's, there's one more scenario I want to talk about. No means no. When no means no. So no, not yet, that could wind up to be a yes. No, don't know, that could wind up to be a yes. But no means no is when there's not going to be a yes. For instance, 
If we're praying for someone who is seriously sick, for them to be healed or for recovery, and then they don't recover, but rather that they die. That's a hard no. That's a hard no. Now, when that happens, what are we to think? I want to suggest three thoughts. Thought number one is God's curse. Is God's curse. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 16, God said to Adam, you, you may eat from any true tree here in the Garden of Eden, except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. We read in Genesis 3, 6 that Eve took some of that fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. This is the entrance of sin into our world. Sin is the breaking of God's law, the breaking of God's word. And it is serious. In doing this, Adam and Eve have aligned themselves with the serpent. Remember the serpent? Satan? Oh, God said you will die? You will not die. Go ahead and eat that fruit. God knows you'll, you'll be like him. He's withholding your best. So they aligned themselves with Satan, the rebel. It was an act of rebellion against God. It was an attempt to displace God from the throne, put themselves on the throne. God's holy response to sin is to pronounce the curse, the curse on the universe. Sum up that, that curse in the word death. Death is not natural. It is not normal. It was not in the original plan. Is God's holy response to sin. Now, God the Son, Jesus Christ, has laid the groundwork and the foundation for the reversal of the curse through his death and resurrection. But that won't actually happen for us in our experience until the second coming of Jesus, the new heavens, the new earth, and the resurrection of the dead. Until that time, this is our reality. We live in a world that is under the curse. The Hebrew writer says each person is destined to die once, and after that comes judgment. So we can pray for the sick, and sometimes God grants those prayers, and there's recovery, and there's healing, and there's a reprieve from death. But eventually, everyone sickens again and dies. According to my research, approximately 166,000 people die every day on this planet. Almost every one of those people who are dying today are being prayed for, have been prayed for. And the answer is no. If God said yes to every one of those prayers every day, no one would ever die. And the purpose of God would be subverted. And what to Satan said would be the truth and what God said would be a lie, and that cannot be. That, we have to factor that in when we hear the hard no from God. Here's the second thing to factor in. God's wisdom. We understand that God has a bigger picture than we do. And sometimes God allows the course of events to continue because he has a purpose and he has a reason. Elijah prayed for God to take his life. God said no. That turned out for the best for Elijah. Paul Asked God to remove his thorn in the flesh. God said no. That turned out for the best for the Apostle Paul. Garth Brooks sang, sometimes I thank God for what? Unanswered prayers. Jesus received a hard no 
in the garden of Gethsemane. Let this cup of suffering pass from me. He went to the cross and we know that God used that for the greatest good of mankind in history. We know God can do that. In Romans 8, Paul writes, we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. So we get that. We believe that. We factor that in. But the third thing, and the last thing I want to talk about in this scenario with a hard no, is God's transcendence. God's transcendence means his otherness, his differentness. He is not a being like us. He's not a created being. He's uncreated. We're the creature. He's the creator. He is thinking, acting on a whole different level than we are. In Isaiah, God describes himself this way. My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts. My ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my thoughts are higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher. My ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. Now, I'll just be as candid and as raw as I can. And that is that sometimes, in a hard no, when somebody dies, the idea that there's a bigger purpose or reason seems inadequate. Now, we, we might be able to understand that with somebody who's lived a long and full life. The Bible says the average lifespan, 70 years. Some people live to 80 and a few even beyond that. So we've got somebody 70, 80, or beyond. They've lived a long, full life, and we're praying for them, and they pass away in their sleep. We kind of get that. We still miss them. It still hurts, but we kind of get that. But when you're talking about what we might call a premature death, an untimely death, for instance, the death of a child, it seems so arbitrary and random. And this person is healed and recovers, but this person is not, and we don't understand why. What I'm saying right here is, think about the transcendence of God. There may simply be reasons that we are incapable of understanding. God doesn't share them with us. And if he did, we could not understand. John Walsh's son, Adam, was kidnapped and murdered in 1981. He writes about that in his book, Tears of Rage. At the conclusion, he writes, God did not sit down somewhere and plan for my little boy to die. There's no grand scheme and plan. These things are random events. And the only thing that matters is how you deal with them. And I agree with John Walsh in the sense that God does not plan mayhem, mayhem or death or suffering or torture, war crimes. God does not plan any of that. When somebody dies in those kinds of circumstances, I don't come along and say, well, you know, everything happens for a reason. God has a purpose. I don't say that. There were individuals in the Bible that you can point to and say, yeah, God planned out their life and their death. But to extrapolate from that a general idea that God has a specific plan for the life and the death of every individual person, I think you're on much more shaky ground, biblically. I do believe that God has a general plan for every person. And that's the plan of redemption. It is his purpose that every person be redeemed through Christ. Peter writes in 2 Peter 3, it is not God's purpose that anyone should be destroyed, but that everyone should turn from their sins. Now, everyone does not turn from their sins, even though that's God's purpose for all of us because we have free will and God will not override our free will. But we simply, beyond that, we don't understand. 
all the reasons why. Hezekiah was one of the good kings of Judah. When he was 39 years old, he became sick. God sent to him the prophet Isaiah to let him know, you're going to die from this sickness. Get your affairs in order. Hezekiah cried out to the Lord in prayer. The Lord sent Isaiah back to him to say, God has heard your prayer. He's going to extend your life by 15 years. Now, 54 is not a particularly long life, but it's longer than 39. But here's the interesting thing. Those 15 bonus years were the worst years of Hezekiah's life. He did not respond appropriately to the Lord's kindness according to the Bible. He became proud and the Lord's anger burned against him and the nation of Judah. In the third year of that 15-year extension, Hezekiah had a son named Manasseh, the most wicked king in Judah's history. Manasseh led the nation through a dark period of idolatry, violence, and corruption. The nation of Judah never fully recovered from the last 15 years of Hezekiah's life. In retrospect, you could easily make the case that it would have been better for Hezekiah and for the nation if he had died 15 years earlier at the age of 39. That same prophet Isaiah wrote in Isaiah 57, good people pass away. The godly often die before their time. But no one seems to care or wonder why. No one seems to understand that God is protecting them from the evil to come. For those who follow godly paths will rest in peace when they die. We think we know best. We think we can say, God, what were you thinking? If you'd just given a few more years to this person's life, we could have lived together and enjoyed that in blue skies and rainbows. We have no way of knowing that. We have no way of knowing the alternative realities. Only God has access to that. God seems more concerned about our response to him when we hear a hard no. And I would sum up the desired response in two words. Gritty determination. A gritty determination to continue loving God and trusting in His goodness. Let me suggest three examples of this from the Bible. King David in the Old Testament had a little baby son who became sick seriously sick and so David began to fast and pray for the baby's recovery but the baby died and we read then David got up from the ground washed himself put on lotions changed his clothes he went to the tabernacle and he worshiped the Lord Job had 10 children who all died on the same day from a natural disaster and we read Job stood up and tore his robe in grief then he shaved his head and fell to the ground to worship. I came naked from my mother's womb and will be naked when I leave. The Lord gave me what I had and the Lord has taken it away. Praise the name of the Lord. Even though he kills me, I will hope in him. Jeremiah was the prophet who lived during the time period when Babylon attacked the nation of Judah, conquered it, carried the people off into Babylonian captivity. Think of the worst war crimes you've ever read about or seen pictures of or video of from the past or in the present. Jeremiah saw it all. He saw it all. He wrote the book of Lamentations, crying out to God 
with a broken heart. Why, why, why? But in the middle of that book, Lamentations, he writes this. Yet I still dare to hope when I remember this. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is His faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. What no would it take from God for you or me to go off on God? What no would it take for us to turn away from God? To abandon our faith and our trust in Him, our love for Him. What would it take? The answer to that has to be no, no. There is no, no that we could hear from God that would cause us to turn away and abandon our faith in Him. After all, God is the only one who has done anything about death. He sent His Son to die and raised Him from the grave. And all those who die in Christ are alive and will rise again. David and his baby son are alive and will rise again. Jeremiah and the Babylonian exiles are alive and will rise again. Job and his ten children are alive and will rise again. Adam Walsh is alive and will rise again, as are all children who have passed away. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 1.20, For all of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes. And through Christ, our amen, which means yes, ascends to God for His glory. Would you say the Lord's Prayer with me as we close? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be Your name. Your kingdom come, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.